Hello and welcome to He's Dropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And we're talking about The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard today. Yes. This is the sequel to one of the first films we ever talked about on the podcast. Yes, and which I've completely forgotten I've seen. Yeah. You, and which I still <laughs> wouldn't be able to tell you the plot. I mean, I really, I cannot remember anything about it. The Hitman's Bodyguard, well, the clue's in the title as to what happens in it. Yes. There's a Hitman and he has bodyguards. Yeah. And actually that's more of a clue than in this, because although The Hitman's Wife is a character... She, it's not really her bodyguard. They're just mm. all in it together mm. in this film. And it's kind of a kind of a mess mm. in plot terms. Um, the first one was about a hitman played by Samuel Jackson, who I think was something about he was going to go and testify at the Hague and International Criminal Court against Gary Oldman, who was like a Belarusian dictator or something. And he needed a bodyguard, which was Ryan Reynolds. And they had a history together because Ryan Reynolds had historically been protecting important dignitaries that Samuel Jackson had been trying to assassinate. Mm. So then they played off each other, and it was a comedy. And you liked it more than I did. I really wasn't that impressed with it. Um, I found a lot of the action pretty stale. But we both agreed that the comedy was really what the film mm. was about. And it kind of worked. This time, Salma Hayek, mm. who is Samuel Jackson's wife, is involved. She was involved in the first film, but not a very big role. Here, she's pride and place at the centre of the film. They are a trio, and they are doing something. There's a there is a bad man, Antonio Banderas is trying to blow up Europe because he wants to restore the pride of Greece. He's mm. Greek. His name is Aristotle, and that's kind of all you need to know about the plot. They need to go save the world from him. Yeah, I mean, you know, the film is not really about plot or no. you know, it really is about the jokes and about the interplay and about the actors and you know, and then there's like you know lots of action sequences around them, which you know you don't pay much attention to in a way because they remain very cool throughout all of them. You know, there's not a drop of sweat amongst them, <laughs> which has its own kind of elegance in a way. You know, I kind of, I enjoyed it all very much. Yeah, well, you were laughing quite a lot. So we were talking just before the podcast began about whether the audience liked it or not, because yes. I just noticed that Wikipedia says that the critical response has not been very good. And most of the people don't like, most of the reviewers um, have decried the comedy in the film, saying it's not very funny. Hmm. And the comedy, I think, this time still is the main Yes, I part. think it's very funny. Um, you were laughing a lot, and it, was a, it wasn't a full cinema by any stretch, but it's the fullest cinema I think we've been we've in been since, to, yeah. since they've reopened. There's probably 20, 30 people there. Hmm. And I was noticing how jokes were going down to silence in the first half of the film, and in the latter half, the audience warmed up to it yes. and started laughing. Oh, interesting. I mean... It's a film that I have now seen twice. Yes, you have. Uh, so, you know, I dragged a friend to see it with me on holiday. And, I mean, I, I expected it to be terrible, to be honest. I mean, it was just, we went to see it because there was nothing else to see. Mm. But I enjoyed it very much. And actually, you know, I was overhearing kind of young kids, mostly guys, coming out of the cinema and saying, I can't believe that film got such bad reviews. It's really good. Oh, really? You know, so... And I actually think if you go in expecting not very much, because, you know, it's not a great masterpiece of the cinema. Like, it is kind of, you know, a commercial effect that all it has going for it really are the stars and the interplay uh, with them. I mean, I think it's a highly stylized film. I think Salma Hayek is brilliant. I've never seen her this good. You know, she plays broad comedy like nobody's business. She goes all out. Uh, 
And, you know, I think she's wonderful. And she plays off very well with Ryan Reynolds and uh, uh, with Samuel L. Jackson. Mm. And I think a lot of it will depend on, you know, how how much people like Ryan Reynolds because he's been playing this kind of role now for a little bit, right, mm. ever since Deadpool. I mean, it's almost like a Deadpoolish kind of character. I like him doing it very much, so I can see how it could get a bit stale. We definitely both remarked uh, on how tired we were of it when we saw Hobbs and Shaw, the yeah. Fast and Furious film, which he shows up in for a bit. Yeah. And um, we both remarked that the, the, the shtick was getting old. Yes. Um, it, it's a little bit lighter here. It's less vulgar. I mean, that film, his appearance in that film was just like vulgar insults. And we yes. thought, that would leave it. I think it works better here. Well, I think he's, he's more highly skilled here. Mm. Yeah, that there are things about inflections or about where to put the emphasis that make the joke better. He plays it better. And there's also like the, the central thing to his character here, because I don't really remember his character in the first one, like his level of confidence and that sort of thing. Here, his character is not very confident. You, you open up on him at a therapist mm. saying, give up the bodyguarding. He's lost his bodyguard license, which is this big thing that hangs over him throughout the film. He's got this issue with his dad that you discover comes up in the film. So he's he's a character that is low on confidence and so his kind of, the asides and those little barbs and mm. jokes that you get from Ryan Reynolds, when he's confident, you know, you, I think he's annoying. Mm. But when he's not confident and it's like he's just trying to kind of keep himself together, I actually find it quite endearing. Yes. I didn't mind him in this. Yes, I, I, I loved him in it, actually. I mean, my favourite is Salma Hayek, you know. And then I also loved Antonio Banderas, who plays like, you know, he does the whole role is his voice and modulations of his voice, mm. right? And it's also drawing on, you know, the Salma Hayek, Antonio Banderas partnership. I mean, they are, you know, a cinematic team. I mean, it might perhaps not be as obvious in an Anglo American context, right? But, you know, elsewhere in the world, they are a famous film team, right? Mm. You know, they've done many films together, you know, most famously Desperado and the sequels. In fact, the film is alluded to because when the film goes back to their younger days, you see Antonio wearing that ponytail that he used to wear <laughs> in those films, right? Uh, and I liked all the in-jokes, like the references to Casablanca, you know, into Overboard, a minor classic, yeah. right? Like, I mean, all of those things were just fun. I didn't think everyone landed. I didn't like... And I, we should say, actually, because I'm about to mention something that's spoilerific. There are spoilers coming up. Um, one of the jokes that landed with me, really landed... Actually, maybe the first one that really landed with me, and this is a spoiler, was um, the reveal that Ryan Reynolds' dad is Morgan Freeman. Yes. It's so silly. <laughs> so right? silly. And it really comes from out of nowhere. And especially because you got... I mean... I, they must have acted together, but I can't remember seeing Samuel Jackson and Morgan Freeman in a film together. I'm sure they have. Off the top of my head, I can't. Um, and he's just like, wow, yeah, I love to see them together. And I love the fact that, that Samuel L. Jackson is just not having it. Yes. You know, he sees that his dad is black and he wants to fucking, you know, he wants to say, what the hell is going on here? And he doesn't quite get the chance, at, at least at first. And I thought, this is really great. And that's when the audience, I think, begin, began to pick up as well yeah. in their response. Um, but then, you know, the moment that I didn't like, I just thought it didn't quite land. And yeah, you know, it's just a totally subjective thing. Is the story about Ryan Reynolds' mum dying at the theme park because he goes to get gelato and he blames it on himself? He gets gelato and his no, that's and dumb. He takes too long to get the gelato and a fat guy on a roller coaster falls and kills his mum. And it's you know the story I don't mind. It's fine, but it's told with reference to Shawshank Redemption. Yes. You know, would that fat man have got on that trail? I don't know, but sometimes it's. Sometimes it's best not to know. Whatever the line is from Shawshank Redemption, it's like he's literally 
I saw you cringe and I was wondering, is oh. that because it's a fat man joke? <laughs> no, I don't mind a fat man joke. I was right with that. I, it, it's, it's because I just thought it just wasn't working for me. I don't, I don't know exactly why I, I took against that joke, but I thought, oh, for Christ's sake. And there were a few moments when I thought, oh, Christ, do we have to? And I, for me, most of the jokes in the film really didn't land. Ah, well, for me, they did. But some of them did. What I noticed you were responding to was Salma Hayek shouting and swearing yes. and being extremely aggressive. Yes. I found it a little one note. Oh, see, I didn't. Um, but it worked on you every time. It worked on me it. every time. I mean, her energy, mm. you know, uh, she she gives herself to the performance and actually to the other things as well because it's played on a very high note. Mm. So when she says things like, oh, I dream of a family, like, it's yeah. not, like, played like serious drama. It is, you know, it's played for laughs, right? Mm-hmm. So you're with her all the time, you know. I think she's putting herself out there. She's making a bit of an ass of herself. You know, she's giving herself wholly to it, and I think it's brilliant. I agree. I think the film is... It's to the film's credit that it's aware of the tropes that it could be playing into seriously, and actually it plays them up and makes it so obvious that, mm. they're, that they're tropes and that it's actually not taking them very seriously. I don't, for me, it doesn't always land, like I say, but I, I appreciate the fact that that's the kind of mode that's in. In fact, it reminded me of when we talked about the first film, one of the things that I was comparing it to straight away was Shane Black and the Nice Guys and his kind of action comedy, mm. which is very much about knowing the genre and deconstructing it from yes. the inside. And this, and the reason I compared the first film to it was because I thought it wasn't as good as that, but it obviously had enough elements that reminded me of it. This, I think, is doing the same sort of thing. Yes. Maybe a little better. Well, you see, I think the films that it reminds me of a little bit are, you know, like The Man from Uncle, which really I did... Yeah, I kind of like, but not too much. You know, and then every time I see it on television, I find myself watching it, Mm. right? Or the Kingsman films, which likewise, you know, I probably thought a bit more highly of it, but, you know, I kind of, hmm. And then every time it's on TV, I find myself, you know, watching it. This is of much lower quality, truth be told. But I can imagine myself, I mean, I've seen it a second time. Mm. I laughed at even more places. I mean, I paid more attention to the actors, this time around, because they really are brilliant, I think. And I could imagine that, you know, every time I see uh, something comes up on television, I'll watch it again. I know that you haven't listened back to the first podcast, but that is something you said in that as well. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, okay. you had that feeling. Um, I mean, I think I agree with you less. I, I, I don't quite... I mean, I think if it came on, I would find it quite easy to turn it off. Yeah. But it does have that quality. It yes. probably would play on TV. Yes. And it is, it's a film of kind of scenes and moments and it's the stars that capture it it's the stars that are what it's all about and again this is something that we discussed in our first podcast was um, that Ryan Reynolds and Samuel L. Jackson are really playing themselves mm. you know, and they continue to here and I think Salma Hayek has elements of that Salma Hayek is a much more she, she has a much more varied kind of cinematic persona I think but there is certainly a version of her persona that is what she's playing here yes um, Antonio Banderas similar sort of thing he, he's, he's a very thinly drawn character with not a lot of screen time nice. but it's the seductive you know I mean you know basically his character is remember Aristotle Onassis the, <laughs> the rich ship, shipping tycoon and Antonio Banderas that's all you don't yeah. need to know any information there. exactly <laughs> but the point is it's, it stars playing Things you would expect of them, to some yes. degree. And, and if you like them, then you like the film. Yeah. And and if you don't like them, then you probably won't like the film, actually. Because, you know, that kind of... It's, it's almost like star interplay 
in a dynamic setting, action setting with lots of shootouts and chases. That's what the film's about. Yeah. You know, so that's it. That's, you know, don't go in expecting anything else. Uh, so if uh, if the stars don't appeal, then the action background is like quite generic. There's nothing really special about it. I mean, there's one moment where what's his name appears that I thought was quite funny. What was, what's the, the actor with Neil and I? Oh, Richard E. Grant. Richard E. Grant appears for like a nanosecond. You know, and yeah. he's still and he's still brilliant. Actually, he's very funny in that in that little yeah, he was good uh, moment that he appears. Uh, so you know, those are the stars, and in a way, that's the film, and I enjoyed it very much. What about um, I? I, so, I was thinking about Salma Hayek, right? Because one of the pleasures for me, one of the only pleasures for me, basically throughout most of the film, was looking at Salma Hayek. Yeah, she's stunning, and it's he made me feel like a ripe pervert. And, you know, I didn't feel good about it, but I thought, well, the film really is boring me, but she's beautiful. Yes. And I really like looking at her. And the film is showing her off, too. You know, she gets her top I off. I don't see why people have problems with that. I mean, you know, that is a large part of what cinema is about. It's presenting these beautiful people for you. And, you know, part of why you like them is because they are attractive. And it's not just like a physical attraction, right? Mm. Because, I mean, you know, there's a lot of pretty people who don't make an impact at all. You know, so sometimes it's about character or whatever. But, you know, the the physical dimension is an important dimension of what cinema is about. I don't have any problems talking about it. Well, I said you don't have any problems. I, and I do all the time with guys. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I, certainly, I certainly don't have any problems with you rationalising me perving on Salma Hayek. I'm fine with that. Thank you. <laughs> Um, but I was kind of thinking of her as a sex object, basically, right? Yes. And like, and how the film uses her as a sex object. I think it's interesting that she, her character, knows that men look at her, yes. and uses that. Yes. So that scene where early on she gets her top off to seduce the guys, and then she kills them all. Yeah, you don't actually see most of that. You just see her undoing her top, and then later on she's in a bra, and they're all dead around her. That's the joke, right? Mm. She knows it. Um, but then also this this thing of Salma Hayek, the actress, knowing or using herself as a sex object in the context of the film. So it's this weird thing well, where... Well, she's no fool. I mean, you know, she spent her whole career manoeuvring herself as a producer into, you know, doing different roles because she knows that, you know, otherwise people would only cast her for her looks, mm. right? There's that famous scene in... Uh, what's the Mexican film with Gabriel Garcia Barnal, where they go on a road trip, right? The rich guy and the poor guy. Um, and they're wanking to Salma Hayek, <laughs> yeah, in the diving board, yeah? Right. Salmita! <laughs> <laughs> it's um, directed by, yeah, what, what were they, one of the Mexican, the three amigos. Um, one of the three amigos. Uh, IMDb, and your mama too. Oh right. Uh, yeah, you and the famous yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, scene. So I mean, she is a sex symbol, and she was a, a, a sex symbol, you know. But then the only serious roles that uh, she got was, you know, when she played Frida Kahlo and things like that, mm -hmm. right? And she had to produce it herself. And both her and Penelope Cruz, they were both like too smart, so. They knew they were being cast in certain Hollywood roles because they were like the hot Spanish or Latina chick, really, mm -hmm. like just eye candy, right? So they both developed their own careers in different areas that allowed them to grow. And I think both with success, I mean, maybe Penelope Cruz with more success, 
than Salma Hayek, you know, but really possibly only because, you know, Salma Hayek retired a little bit from making movies, right? Mm. You know, I believe she 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 married this rich guy in cosmetics, who, you know, who runs all of the cosmetic and clothing high brands. Uh, and she's not making as many films as she used to. Also, she's admittedly older and at a vulnerable age. Yeah, she's over 50 now. I don't know how old she is. Well, she's born in 1966. So, you know, uh, she's what? That makes her 55. Yeah, so, you know. So it's amazing that she can still get you hot, babe. <laughs> Not too amazing. You know. <laughs> well, you know, she's 56, right? So obviously those roles for, yeah, for actresses that age, mm. you know, kind of diminish. And she does fantastic things with it because, you know, she's not just the girl. She's not just, you know, the girl with the tits. She's funny. And she's, you know, the action sequence she's in, they're wonderful. It's very rare to see women playing like that. And it's not fetishized. So they don't just have her fight a female villain or whatever. No, she shoots all the guys and, you know. No, I so, agree with that. And I like uh, the element of her character that is, you know, so self-possessed and aggressive and all that kind of stuff that you were really laughing yeah. at, you know. Um, and when I say you were laughing at it, like you liked it, you know, yes, and I it did. worked. Um, I, I it worked for me too, and I like that element of the character. There was, but there was just this one moment where she goes to. It's after the gelato revelation mm. about the mum, uh, and she goes to console Ryan Reynolds on that bench. Mm. And this is obviously like one of the first indications that she wants to adopt him. <laughs> There's this whole thing going on about the family. Yeah, and she wants a family. She's desperate for a family, but they can't conceive. And she's kind of rubbing his leg, and she's saying, oh, going to, you know, there's nothing to be guilty over and stuff. And then this thing about, you don't have to be guilty about looking at my boobs either. And it's not a thing that's been in the rest of the film. No. She's just, like, her character is slightly crazily saying it from out of nowhere. It really is from out of nowhere. Like, and, me, and, this, and it, it turns out it's come from when he saves her life early on. He pushes her out of the way by pushing her chest. Yes. Pushing her boobs. And she... She, like read that as him cupping her boobs and stuff, and I just thought there's an element of this that I I see why it's I see how it's trying to be a funny crazy kind of she's crazy and is reading this wrong kind of thing. I, I, but I also found it slightly puerile. Well, there were one or two moments that I found slightly puerile well, about it, her. Well, I I mean I the film is not afraid to be puerile and it's not afraid to make cheap jokes, but I really buy her as this you know. The contradiction between the hit woman, ruthless hit woman who can, you know, <laughs> who never gets killed and who kills everyone else. You know, this woman who's praying to the Virgin of Guadalupe for children and a family, right? Mm. And that's all she wants. <laughs> yeah, I kind of, you know, and she gives herself to all of that, right? And you get a sense she does believe that and that is what she wants. And, you know, and I kind of... And the other thing about being puerile, well, you know, those things are also tied to larger themes in the film, yeah? You know, her tits are what she announces herself with in, at the beginning of the film, like you said. And it's also like mother's breast. It's like the call for the mother and, you know, it's, yeah, uh, which is what, know, I, what's, what's his name is missing. Yeah, right I know. That's what I say. I get where it's, how it's kind of tying in and what it's trying to do with it, but I did find it like a pure moment of just like using her. Well, listen, you know, I don't want to make any great claims for the film because there are no claims to be made. I would have liked but to have I seen, put it fun. This way. I would have liked to have seen an equal moment where someone cuts Ryan Reynolds' testicles. That would have been nice. Equal treatments of 
the bodies. Yeah, well, good luck. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, I'm just, just saying, just saying that's you know, a, a consideration, right? Um, well, what I want to say is that in comparison to other female action heroines, you know, there's a lot more to like about Salma Hayek and what she does and represents in this film yeah. than what you usually get to see. That's probably true. So, anyway, shall we wrap it up? I don't think there's much to say about this film. I, I like the music. That's maybe the other thing that I forgot to add. You know, um, so I, I like the use of the music. I like the choice of the songs. What I were the songs? I remember Hello, which is a callback to the first film. I, I mean, I can't remember. There's, a, there's, you know, but it's it's the kind of music that made me th- want to say, I want to, I want to, I want to see what it is because I want to follow up on some of the choices. The most memorable sequence is the jukebox sequence where, you know, mm. every time he bashed his head in, the song changed, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, and one of them was I Saw the Sun. Yeah. I saw the sun. I felt like I'd seen that somewhere. Um, I'll tell you what, I think, well, it's a similar joke to an airplane in the flashback to the bar in Airplane where they do Staying Alive. He, the bar fight happens and he smashes the guy into the jukebox and then it starts playing Staying Alive. Yes. The difference here is that as he smashes him into it, it changes tracks. Yes. Which is a nice addition to the joke. Yeah. I mean, you know, this is a very derivative film. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, you know, there's no question about that. But also, I think it's very fun and... You know, you don't want to go into a film expecting the film to be the greatest film ever made all the time. I mean, I knew what I was getting into. The title alone tells you what you're getting into, the hitman's wife's bodyguard. I mean, please, you know. So, and I was surprised at at what a good time I had. Yeah, well, I mean, you've seen it twice, so that is a kind of recommendation in itself because you don't always. And and you're intending to see Fast and Furious 9 twice, which is madness. I can't imagine. (laughs) Well, that I'm mainly doing for you, babes. Oh, yeah. You didn't seem that that upset to see it twice. I would say that I... The fact that I warmed up to the film in the second half and had more of a laugh with it and enjoyed it a little bit more. And and I suppose part of that is getting into the soap opera of the drama of the characters, you know, like there's a bit of osmosis of that. Like actually you do kind of start to care about she wants a family and, and he is having confidence issues and stuff. It started to get under my skin a little bit. So, but I would say the fact that that did start to work on me does not, I don't want to forget the fact that for the first half, I was really having a very, very shit time and didn't enjoy anything. Yes, I thought, oh, he's going to be in a grinchy mood. Yeah. So, <laughs> did, at, least, at least the good half of the film was put at the end. Uh, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, so I left in a reasonable mood. <laughs> yes. All right. Um, thank you very much for listening. We are eavesdropping at the movies, and we are on. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and YouTube. Our social media is Facebook and Twitter, at Eavesdrop Movies. And the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.